0: This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast.
1: With what ha- just happened, people realize they don't have to sit in Manhattan to make Manhattan salary anymore. They can do it virtually. They can travel all over the place and you know rent Airbnbs and rent houses for six months, and they don't have to be tied down anywhere. But how does that incorporate into what we do in the multifamily space? I think you just got to be that much more aware of location. And population
0: growth. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their
1: real estate business.
0: What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself I work in corporate America at a software company, and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small, multifamily, and short term rentals, AKA Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network. So hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, BiggerPockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber real estate, and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there this episode is sponsored by infinite road destinations the smartest short-term rental property management group i know and the group that manages my properties this is a company that's very close to my heart run by two of the smartest most attentive people i know claire rosenberg and alex breshears claire and i first met when we worked together at netapp where she was a top performer and rose crazy fast in the company and alex is just one of the most active genuine people i know in the real estate space The two of them together bring a blended background of project management, software design, and extensive experience with automation tools and virtual assistants. Through these experiences, they optimize any property to deliver a hands-off experience to owners while delivering the highest occupancy and highest daily rates possible. You guys know I would not recommend Anything to anyone in this group that I do not fully endorse or think that is the absolute best product. And this company is that. And like I said before, this is the exact company and people that manage my Airbnbs. If you don't believe me, here are a few of the other tools and services that come along with the team listing optimization, guest support and approval, communication and reservations, key exchange and management, dynamic pricing. Welcome kit creation, listing advertising and marketing, vendor management, including cleaners, maintenance, handyman, runners, and monthly property reports. To learn more, check out shorttermmadeeasy.com or email info at shorttermmadeeasy.com. And on the form, just mention that you heard it here or mention my name. So give it a try. You have nothing to lose, and they offer a satisfaction guarantee. And I assure you guys, you will not be disappointed. What's up, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with a close friend, John Cohen, um, multifamily investor based in Long Island, and just got a great perspective on everything that I think you guys are interested in. His formal background is he's got about 2,500 units um, now that have totaled about 4,000 units over a period of time, but now he's got... 2,500, they've been selling some off uh, across 27 multifamily deals. And what's cool about John and his company and his business is that one, they put money into every deal, significant amount of their own money into every deal. So they're not doing it just for the fees. And they're not buying just to collect fees. Like they haven't bought a deal in the last 12 months. So they're focusing on managing. And we'll talk about some of the other things today, buying land and, and like just other random tactics and strategies and preparing for COVID to be over. But he's just got a great perspective, like very approachable. He gives out his phone number, his email, says you can call him anytime and he will pick up the phone and he will get back to you if you have a question. Like he's just that type of guy. Um, And I just know him personally through a friend, Chris Grenzig, who's also been on the show and just good friend, went to college together, who worked for John for, um, I want to say, a couple of years. And I used to just go to their office and hang out and work. And basically, it was just like such a cool environment. And John just always had a great way of kind of thinking through stuff and building relationships, which is a big part of this episode today. But just really enjoyed this one. I think you guys will as well. Uh, The main learning I had from this show was how to actually play around with land investing. So John's background is in syndicating apartment buildings, but he started in the business through buying land. And now he's been playing around with it a little bit, kind of as like day trading or a side hustle to his main business because he can't travel. And the land investing is something that can be done totally remotely. And you can make in his mind, easily six figures a year, just kind of flipping land or leasing land or just you know finding deals, ways to partner with people. And uh, we kind of go through that as well. So that was a main learning for me. I didn't really know who's doing that. And then he talks through how anyone can get started. Today's tangible tip. I know Craigslist is a very creepy, sketchy place for the most part, but it actually can be a great tool for some needs and some business cases. So like, for example, when we were talking about land, he's like, put a post up on Craigslist, just talking about your needs or kind of what you're looking for in what area and just start getting a feel for what the platform is. Now, again, it's creepy and it could be weird. So be careful. But There are deals and there are opportunities to find business on Craigslist. So a lot of people don't like it. I don't love it, but I wouldn't be opposed to using it if I thought I could make money on it. So uh, that's today's tangible tip. Great episode today with John Cohen. See ya. All right, John, what is going on, man? I'm excited to have you back on for uh, part two, as I guess now a little series we're doing of some of our uh, fan favorite episodes. But how have you been, man? I feel like it's been like maybe seven months, like COVID was still very new. And, uh, just like a very obviously hot topic, but so much unknown, but how how you been since then? What's, uh, what's top of mind, bro? How you been?
1: Yeah, we are, uh, we're hanging in there, man. Obviously I appreciate you having me back. Um, always have fun, you know, when we, when we talk or whatever, but, uh, yeah, we're hanging in there. It's, uh, I think early on, a lot of people thought this was going to be a little bit quicker than it was. I was on the believer and I think I'm somewhere saying it, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit longer than what most people think. But uh, I think that I think we all feel there's a light at the end of the tunnel, which is good. Mm. And now it's uh, it's just adapting to some things that are probably going to be changed for the foreseeable future. Do I think that these are forever changes? It's tough to say anything's a forever change, but there are definitely things that I think will be integrated in our business, the multifamily space and what we do um, that people are going to take advantage of it. I saw some interesting reports, which we can talk about, about, you know, what people feel about virtual working and coming back to the office. Um, so I do think there are some permanent or, or foreseeable future changes that are going to change the way a lot of people do business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we could just kind of just jump right in. But before we do, even though you've been on before, uh, from a high level, you mind just giving our listeners, maybe, you know, it can be as short or, or long as you want, but a, a highlights version of kind of who you are and uh, kind of what your business is today as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, most people probably have heard me speak somewhere. Uh, basically, I have a multifamily investment syndication platform with my partner, Don Lorenzo. That company is called Tor Real Estate Partners. Uh, prior to that, I was a financial advisor uh, in you know, 2009 to 2012. Um, then I started doing real estate on my own. I did a ton of tax deeds, a touch of super distressed single family stuff. Uh, through tax auction, a couple fix and flips. And then in 2013, 2014, my full-time focus went into building my multifamily platform because I was a broker. Uh, uh, multifamily investment sales agent for Marcus and Millichap and uh, spe- specializing in multifamily investment sales. I just fell in love with that product and real estate was always a passion of mine. So I took the financial advisor raising money component mixed it with real estate. At that time, you couldn't do it. Now it is more widespread. It's out there, everybody knows that. Um, but I started that really, that push uh, into multifamily around 2013, 2014. And that's just been our bread and butter. Uh, in 2017, 2018, we bought a couple mobile home parks. We still buy mobile home parks. I would say the major shift in the philosophy has probably been where we've always been 95, five multifamily mobile home parks. We're probably now at least sourcing deals not, you know, 85% mobile home park, 15% multifamily. And that's just because the multifamily market has been absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've historically bought very distressed, super heavy lifting deals, just harder to find in markets where we want to be. Um, but there are those opportunities in the mobile home park. So that's where we played around in. Uh, and then through COVID, uh, thanks to our good buddy, Chris Grenzig, uh, I got involved in some land, you know, in some land deals. And uh, I've been playing around and dabbling around in that. And I think that's going to be a you know a sizable chunk of our business in 2021. Uh, you know, with everything else that we do in the multifamily space.
0: Okay. We're going to come back to land deals later because again, if people haven't heard the first episode, they need to go back and do that because you start in the business and just your, your attitude at the beginning when you were buying land was just hilarious. And it was just, it was just cool. Like it's, it's, I'd say repeatable because it's definitely uh, less competitive than multifamily. And there's also less capital needed than multifamily. And like, Just uh, anyway, we'll we'll talk more about it later, but for those that want to kind of get more of a base on it, uh, the first episode, we talk a lot about that. Um, So something we were talking a little bit about before we hit record, and it's just a very common like issue or question or conversation lately, especially um, is, you know, things are competitive and something that I've always kind of respected and admired about what you guys do is that you aren't buying deals just to buy deals. You're not buying deals just to collect fees, to check a box. You guys put your own money into deals and you are buying deals with conservative underwriting. So where do you see the line between being aggressive and trying to find, I guess, ways within a deal to make it work. Because I think a lot of people, they'll use um, the fact that the numbers don't work as an excuse, but you're clearly, and you clearly haven't done that to a point where you couldn't have acquired as many units as you have if you had that as kind of an excuse. It's more like a logical thing from you, but I'd just be curious to hear how you kind of think about risk and analyzing deals in a really competitive market and choosing to kind of stay on the sidelines over some people who might be jumping in aggressively and maybe putting a little bit of their neck out and, and who knows how it's going to play out, but just would love to hear your kind of your comment on it.
1: So that's an amazing question. And I probably have a lot to say about this. And most people realize, you know, (laughs) I don't make friends sometimes, you know, when I have conversations, but at the end of the day, I think you actually had a post in your group on Facebook talking about, you know, 3% down, 5% down, 20% down. And I wrote It's all risk related, right? You know, some people just don't want debt and some people want more equity. Now in our specific business, I think there are groups out there that are just fucking crazy, right? They're just, they're just completely nuts and they're doing things that I can't stomach. I saw a deal yesterday where they actually sent to investors a scenario where they sell the deal at a three cap. And this deal is not you know, it, well, with population growth, it could be in a, you know, a growing market, but they sent out a deal and I was watching the webinar and I'm scratching my head. Like through Corona, I got really aggressive and I actually modeled a deal to sell at a 575. That was like as aggressive as I can get, but I'm not ready to dive in. Personally, I think that the shoe has not yet dropped. I think, you know, speaking to a lot of operators in the business, and talking to brokers and BPOs and, and brokers valuing deals, people are throwing away bad debt, and throwing away poor operations as a, oh, it was a Corona problem. But I'm looking at that stuff saying, but is that problem completely gone, right? The bad debt, where that person work, how many more of those people are out there in these properties that, okay, there's there's another stimulus coming out. But if that didn't come out, There's been no stimulus for quite some time. And now you're starting to see operations and you're starting to see things, bad debts increasing. And, you know, we own in Jacksonville and Columbus, and there's a lot of government programs that are paying people's rents. And well, you can't expect that to be there forever. So how do you factor that into your underwriting, into your plan, into your business model? Conversation that we have internally uh, that I've been speaking to Don about, I said, personally, I don't think I'm smart enough to underwrite this stuff. I I know that, right? I'm, you know, I'm a, I play baseball. I'm not that smart. Maybe I can, I can have good conversations and I'm, I'm, I think differently, but at the end of the day, I said, you know, we're either gonna have to hire someone that's got like a super data science background that can track migration patterns and feel really good that Charlotte, North Carolina is gonna have astronomical population growth that that we can now put into our model based on different projections and different models and different patterns. But I can't, I'm not nearly smart enough to scour the internet and aggregate data from different websites to show that people in New York are moving to Charlotte, Jacksonville and Texas, or people in California are moving to Arizona and Texas. I know that from the macro level, one, because I live in New York and I have conversations with people. Our own underwriter asset manager, Chris, was one of them. He moved to Florida. Don is in Florida right now. So I know people from New York are going to Florida. So Florida is on our radar of a place we want to be. I'm also a huge believer in the tax-free states Buy deals there. Because I think with what just happened, people realize they don't have to sit in Manhattan to make Manhattan salary anymore. They can do it virtually. They can travel all over the place. And you know, rent Airbnbs and rent houses for six months, and they don't have to be tied down anywhere. But how does that incorporate into what we do in the multifamily space? I think you just got to be that much more aware of location and population growth. Multifamily Mm -hmm. has always been supply and demand and job growth. Job growth is still coming back, but I think population growth has to be weighted a little bit higher where it was jobs go places, people move. I think now people are moving the job growth still has to be there, but not nearly as much as it was five, 10, three, four years ago, because now people can work in a place that they love the weather. They love what they can do and they don't have to get a job there. So I mm-hmm. think that uh, we're looking at deals completely aware that we're not smart enough to make those decisions, but they're being decisions that we are slowly getting more comfortable with making Mm-hmm. And understanding that we look at deals, you know, we have not bought a deal in 12 months. Um, and we're far off on deals. You know, we're offering on deals and we're well off what people are asking. And I'm getting brokers telling me, you probably just know this property a little too much where you're not going to push the needle. And I know people are buying deals at super aggressive pricing. And I know there's hyperinflation and people are talking about all these things that are going to drive rent growth through the roof. But the thing I come back to saying is that If you buy C-class deals and B-class deals, there is a ceiling of rent, right? And expenses are not fixed. You know, expenses are getting more expensive, insurance and taxes, and who knows how they're going to pay back this massive debt that we've dug ourselves a hole with. So if expenses are going to continue to rise and and rents are going to continue to rise, is there a ceiling where people just can't physically afford to live in these properties? Because it just doesn't make sense. Where do they go? and where do they want to live and what happens? Those are questions that I don't think the data is out on. So we're underwriting. We're trying to be as careful as we can. And luckily for us, we have really good deals we own and we never buy deals fee driven. We buy deals cause we want to own the real estate and we want to own the property and we invest in it. So luckily we do not have to buy anything to sustain what we do. We own really good properties. We will be selling deals this year. Um, but we've made good investments and we will continue to do that. We will not force a deal because we need a payday on an acquisition fee. It's just not something we believe in, not something we would do. Um, hence why we have no deals that we're even close on right now, because we're not going to move the needle. We're going to do what we want to do, uh, or we're going to have to adapt and, and bring in you know, significantly smarter people.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, usually I would re- ask a question like, well, let's say if you had to find a deal right now, uh, what would you do if someone had a gun to your head, you know, but what I, I think I'd rather hear from you because what's cool is, and I, I don't say this like just to anyone on the show, but what's cool about you is that you are not just one track focused. Like, I think a lot of people that come on the show, their whole identity is I'm an apartment building syndicator. And if I can't get one of those, like it's, it's the avatar over my head from like the Sims, you know? So like, if I, if I can't get that, then I'm not that. So I'm going to buy a deal that's a three cap just so I can basically like further my cause and image. And I can put on social media that I add another 300 units and get more awareness. And it's, you know, whatever. I mean, it's the beauty of capitalism and economics, you know, you can get good at different parts of this, but what I like about your story and strategy is that you're, you're like, thinking and kind of curious about different things. So I guess the question I'd ask you, especially with like buying land and starting with flipping houses and just like curious in different areas, if you were starting, if not starting over, but let's say you were 21 today, coming right out of college, you just, you're, you played baseball, you got all the energy instead of going down on wall street. You were like, I know I want to be a real estate investor. Um, where, where would you start over again right now? um and like you know your first year plan you know we you know whatever hard to say like longer but where, what would you start with and kind of what would your kind of like tactics be getting off the ground
1: that's an amazing question um i've actually given this thought and that that's sort of when i one thing to we are opportunistic right myself my partner we do have different talents and skills that we bring to the table you know he was an office leasing broker for years and I had the, the rough and tough, let's go buy some super rough property. So, we have some expertise and knowledge in other areas. So, I think that's why we tend to be more opportunistic. You know, I remember a deal we did, I told people we were buying, and people were like, What the? Are you crazy? Like, I said, Well, if the herd's going this way, I want to go this way. I want to even want to be slaughtered, walking down the slaughter path by myself, or I just want to be totally different than everybody else. But if I was 21, starting over, The one thing that I didn't do that I probably regret, and actually take it back, I don't regret anything because I wouldn't be where I am today if I regretted something. The one thing that I would recommend anyone do is find somebody that you can help by doing something that they do not like to do and don't, can I curse? Yeah. Yeah. Or is that it? I, I fucking hate when people say, well, I need hundred grand to live, right? Make nothing, pick the person's brain and get their knowledge. Their knowledge is a million dollar salary, not a paid salary and do the things that people don't like work for someone, pick up the phone, start cold calling, start knocking on doors, do the things that people don't want to do and do it better than anybody and test the water, right? If it's fixing and flipping homes, you can't do that by going on Zillow and looking for houses and offering 60% of what the price is. You're never going to buy anything. Starting Fibling's home, get up, get out, go run around the block, look for houses that look like shit and go knock on the door or write the address down, send them a letter. If you want to do land, I would w- try and find a group that was opportunistic where I can add value saying, what are you guys missing, deal flow? I'm going to go find deals. What are you guys missing? Good asset management? I'm going to manage this deal better than anybody else right? Do the things that people don't like and make that your mastery. And there's a guaranteed paycheck at the end of the day, but don't go into something saying, Oh, I want to make hundred grand a year because I'm 21. and went to Harvard. I don't give a fuck if you went to Harvard. I don't give a shit. Start with someone saying, I don't want to get paid. I want you to teach me everything because I want to drive the Bentley that you have in the front parking lot. Don't pay me a nickel. Just teach me what you know. And that's, that's the approach that I would take.
0: I just, I need people to hear that message, man. Like anyone that's, that's just looking for help right now, or you don't like where you're at, just re-listen to the last minute of, of what John said there, because it's just such a good reminder. Like what you can accomplish by getting around the right people in a year versus maybe even like five years by yourself is insane. But then just that attitude shift. And, and then I know the next question, but you already answered it because you've heard it so many times. Well, what can I do for this person? I can't add value. Well, you can do all the things that you just said you can find deals you can get them on podcasts you could be their marketing guy you could be their underwriter you could learn all this stuff but, and now if you're saying to those well i don't know how to do any of those well now you got to learn how to do something because now you got to learn how to bring value to someone it's either i find it cheesy but i do like these guys and they say but it's either pay to play or seek to serve jake and gino but like you know cheesy as it is it is true you either plop down the money to be around the people that think and operate and play at varsity speed or you call the coach and say hey I'm ready to play I'm gonna bring all the drinks out and the pads out to the field let me play on varsity for a couple days and you get your reps and it's just the best way and it's just there's so many so many examples of it and and like ah yeah it's just hard because you know we were all I mean I'm only 27 you know you're a young guy too but like when we were 21 there is that like I'm going to take on the world and I don't need anyone. It's tough, tough to hear and swallow like, oh, now I need to go be someone's bitch or someone's intern for two years. But like, yeah, you do. Like, I almost would rather tell people forget the 200 grand you just dropped on college. Just, just when you're 18, if you want to spend 200,000, go into a, a mastermind or go into a coaching program or just then go get around that person. And in two years, you'll come out better than even before you're 21 that, that you'd still be in a great place and just
1: yeah i i i've heard this before and i'm a believer of it listen i'm not saying that college is not good and you shouldn't go by all means that is not what i'm saying because i think you learn so much when you're on your own and when you're doing things differently you know even when you're you know you're sitting in a, in a jail cell cuz you just got into a bar fight you've learned a lot that you would not have learned if you didn't do that but i'm not saying everyone should go out and go knock out the drunk guy at the bar and go sit in jail <laughs> but you you learn so much going through that process. But there's a piece of me that would take anyone that's just about to step into a $50,000 a year tuition and say, I'm going to give you 50 grand. I don't want it back. And I want you to fuck it up and lose it. The experience behind losing that 50 grand, trying to start a business, trying to trade Bitcoin, I don't care what it is. You're going to get more from that than you will from four years of education. Now the experiences and the friends and the people you meet in the education, you might get more than that 50 grand, right? Especially if you go to certain colleges with good networking and and the people you meet are worth way more than anything else. But I would almost, I would love 18 year old kids to call me and say, what can I do for you? Give me six months before I go to college. I will bring that person in and I will teach them everything I know. Cause if they do one thing that I suck at or they do one thing that I don't like doing, that's going to be the most valuable thing they can take. And even if they take that skill set and apply it to themselves sitting in college and sitting in an education, they're going to get more out of the education knowing I'm going to master this skill set by sitting to a math class or whatever it is. And I'm going to understand how this can help me be better at that one thing. So I, I truly believe that, that that that's probably the most important thing that you can do is. is master something and find people because you're right either pay to play write the check and don't be a bitch or learn a skill and be the best at that skill and and you know you have something that people may or may not have but you know you can deliver a result because you have a skill that that you're good at
0: so true it just and this is for anyone that needed to hear it it's like their, um, basically acceptance of it or their approval to do it, just start reaching out to people today, tomorrow. You can reach out to John, you can reach out to me. I mean, if you really want to be effective, we both get pinged on a lot of stuff, but if you come with an email or a message that says, Hey, I heard you mention this. I heard you need help with this or, Hey, I'm willing to help out where you need just admin work done for the next six months. I assure you, you might not guarantee to get a response. Everyone, you know, has weird days where maybe they miss an email. But you will have such a better chance of getting a response, just, and you will stand out. Like anytime I get an email, I always flag someone. This person has the potential to be special, and now they get brought in to maybe have a deeper conversation on. All right, how can we help each other? But it's ninety nine point nine 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 of the other way of. Hey, uh, you want to buy my thing, or can you mentor me, or can you help me, or do this or this? It's like. You know, we could, but we're going to give our time and energy to the people that come the other way. You know, it's just a matter yep. of 24 hours in a day, man. If time was infinity, yeah, then it would be great, but it just it doesn't work that way. So it's just, man, that this is a whole other topic, but it's just so important. So appreciate you digging into that, John. Um what I'd love to like kind of talk about now is how you Think about things after COVID. You know, like again, this is an it's speculative, but you know, like in my opinion, in my life, and I'm 27. Again, like COVID to me is is sort of like not over ish, but it's like I think we really are turning the corner. And like I'm not political at all, but I also feel like there are political factors <laughs> driving that. And now, like COVID's like the world wants it to be over, and you know, whatever. Like coming to the spring and summer, and then vaccines, all that. So I'm curious for you, John. Like, how much do you think the world has changed? from like what you were doing maybe 14 months ago, um, from like a day-to-day perspective versus now, you know, opportunity, but also like strategy and tactic with COVID and working digitally and kind of the world changing a little bit, or maybe even different types of deals. Like basically where, where do you see opportunity, um, or just like shifts since COVID or now into the new world of post COVID?
1: Yep. So Awesome question. and I think it can go in so many different ways. But the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, we had a conversation yesterday, we just brought on new bookkeepers slash part time, I don't want to say CFO, but they're going to advise a little bit more. And we were running through our, uh, our, our financials for the last couple of years. And we were looking at our absolutely necessities uh, expenses. And the first thing I noticed was a $3,500 rent for our office. And I haven't called my partner yet, but he's down in Florida. I'm in New York. Our admin is in, uh, in New York also. But I go to, I have gone to the office in the last 12 months, 15 times. And our admin's going there, picking up the mail and stuff like that. And I, I know my partner's not going to like it because he's actually coming home from Florida in April. And he said, you know, we got to get back into the office and at least work together in the same area. And I wanted to go the opposite and say, Let's all buy webcams and just open the Zoom and just leave it open. And if we need something, we just, shoot, you know, we just talk or we, you know, group text, Slack, you know, all the different things. Hey, jump on jump on Zoom, right? Like $3,500 to spend 35, 40 grand a year in rent when, when our, our total operating expenses are about 150,000 a year. Well, 40,000 goes right to the bottom line. That's a full-time employee I can do some special stuff, or it's an extra twenty thousand in my pocket that I can invest in Mm -hmm. myself, in educating myself, in other deals. So, and that's the biggest number there. Where I said, do we need that? Right? Can we, if we really need an office, can we just go get a shared office space somewhere where it's a fraction of the price? Can we go back to what we were doing, working in another office? You know, now when we switched offices, it, it was the professionalism of having your own place. Well now in COVID or post COVID, do you need that, right? Can you do your virtual meetings? Do you need a physical place to sit down? So it's a real thought that I had less than 24 hours ago of, of an expense that we could probably cut back on. And, and you know our landlord's super flexible. So I do think there's major changes. I think there's major things that are gonna happen in the immediate future that's gonna change the way people do business. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think that office space is going away? No. Do I think retail is going away? Not for COVID reasons, for other reasons. It, it'll be it'll be less. So I think there's real opportunity to look at yourself and your business. And now is probably the better best time ever to say, okay, what's the next 12 months going to hold? How can I be different than the market and use it to my advantage, right? Do I have spaces that I can rent out as short-term office space? Can I provide my tenants with, a place if they need an absolute critical meaning where, so there are things that we're going to look at and we're going to scratch our head. Like, why didn't I think about that before? But I think post COVID there'll be major changes. I think that these are real decisions that people are going to have to make to better themselves. If I could pay, you know, if I could save 40 grand and I can go hire a full-time whatever, I mean that 40 grand is going to generate hundreds of thousands of dollars. So um, where that office I've been there 15 times in the last 12 months. That Has it generated me what? You know, it's, gener- it's actually cost me money by getting in the car and driving there and and losing the opportunity to be in front of the computer or, you know, spending time with my daughter, right? I had to get out and do something where other things could have happened that would have been more detrimental. So that's the immediate one I could think of because it happened less than 12 hours ago, right? It was five mm-hmm. o'clock last night. We had a conversation with our bookkeeper, um, and, you know, on a new financial way of looking at things. But Uh, I think those things are going to start showing their head a little bit more now on what you can and can't do. And can you be more efficient doing some of these things in other ways? And I think that's the biggest one that comes off the top of my head is just how you can be better at what you're doing now or more efficient by using technology.
0: So great point. And I think it, I mean, there's so many different ways to go with it. That's just one of them, but that's, that's 30% of a, of an operating budget and just, why not consider cutting it if it's not going to move things forward? So something that, you know, always amazed me about what you guys do and syndicators and and multifamily investors in general is oftentimes they're buying in places that are very far away from them. And a lot of people in our group, you know, ask the question because they live in Long Island or they live in New Jersey and they don't want to house hack. And I, I don't blame them. You know, they have a kid or they have a wife, whatever. And like house hacking is a drop in quality of life. I, I mean, I always say like, you need to check what your ambition level and your goals are. Cause if you're telling me you want something, you not know, that's, but that, that's a separate conversation, but an important one. No. Too. But what I'm saying is like, I always tell them when they're like, I don't think you could buy a single family out of state. I'm like, do you understand that like um, an apartment syndicator group, they're buying hundreds of units from out of state. So like, it's totally possible. Like you're buying one house now, do you need, and, and maybe there is some benefit of them being the size they are, cause then they can have scale and systems and employees, but it's totally possible. If they can buy 400 units and John lives in Long Island and he's buying something in, in South Carolina or Florida. It's doable for a single family home investor. So I start to think about a lot of the ways that maybe the world has changed or even like sped up as far as doing things digitally. I want, I'm going to go on a couple like, like stacks here of just of topics. But the first one I want to think about is relationships. So I know you are great at building relationships, you know, just like in the industry, but also with brokers. And it's something that I kind of go back and forth on because digital world, I feel like it still will be easier to make relationships and build a, a presence on social media. But you know, like, I, I, I think you would agree with this, but I'd love your comment on it of, you know, still the power of building a relationship in person and sitting across from someone and walking a deal with them. So I'm just curious, like, how do you think that'll play out or change for you in 2021 post COVID of still going to meet people to build a relationship in person versus transacting most of it on Zoom or on the phone? Or like, do you think one's better than the other? Or, you know, which would you prefer to do?
1: Yeah, so that's been one of the hardest things for me through this period, right? I've always been someone at an event or talking to people, transacting with people, coffee, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. Um, even to the point of like traveling to see properties and see deals and keeping those relationships fresh. Uh, it's been the hardest thing for me because I haven't been able to do it. You know, now yes, can I get on a plane right now? I can. Can I go sit down in a meeting? I can't. And I did that. For high valued people and people that wanted to you know some real good questions were asked i sat down with people We went to our office uh you know whole nine yards but you know i didn't want to come home after traveling you know i have a two-year-old daughter i have you know my father's a little bit older who had open heart surgery a couple years ago so i don't want to put myself in a position where i wouldn't be able to see them or i would potentially hurt somebody so i have not gone anywhere and. It has detrimentally hurt us from a standpoint of being able to see our deals and tour our deals. Now, luckily, my partner's in Florida, so he's been going to our—you um, know—we've been using Zoom and FaceTime at the properties, uh, which is okay. But it's very difficult to transact and buy deals without seeing them. At least we've never done it before. Uh, but simultaneous, the relationships have been difficult. You know, if I get one more person sending me a Zoom meeting for an intro call. We never did that before. Like, pick up the phone and call me. I'll decide if I want to have a Zoom call with you after our first initiation. I just, I don't understand. It never, you know, we never met before. I never met you two years ago. Do I send you a Zoom line? No, I pick up the phone, I call you. If I like you, I follow up with you. If I don't like with you, I, I'm done. Right. So, like, I don't want to see you the first time I talk to you, unless you're a contact that I'm that we're, you know, you're a broker that's showing me off market deal. But, that's totally different. But, if you're a random person on the internet, it's awkward to do a Zoom call with someone you don't know. Like, let's build a relationship first. Now, I get it. Like, if we're at a networking event and I've never met you and we're at an event together and now we interact, that's fine. But who wants to get on a Zoom call the first time you're talking to someone, right? You, you, you go back and forth on Bigger Pockets with somebody or through email or Facebook or LinkedIn. The first call is not a Zoom call. I still stand by that. Like the first call is pick up the phone. Let's see if there's anything here and then we can follow up, right? Investor meetings. I understand doing a Zoom call, but like initial reaction, conversation, fucking text message works, right? And phone calls. Let's start with that before we go forward. So I'm not a big believer of this need to jump on a Zoom now every single time you have a conversation. I mean, I'm getting invites. I'm like, yeah, okay. They're like, oh, you're not on the Google Meets. I'm like, and I'm not going to be on the Google Meets. Call me, right? Let's have a conversation. So I personally believe that it's a great tool, but it's being abused. And mm. I, I think there's got to be a layer that, that first takes place before you just start jumping on, you know, Zoom with everybody or all, you know, Google Meets or whatever it is. I just think that, you know, when did that become the way that you transact, right? It just, that's not how it ever was. So it doesn't have to be that yet. Obviously, I understand you want to get to know who you're talking to, but let's get to know each other first before we start Zooming with each other. So that's how I feel about that.
0: It's actually hilarious because I've been I've been scripting and just batching out a lot of content. And one of them that's been like an interesting thing for me now um, has been like communicating and the different like um, strengths or different like levels of it. Like, okay, in person is obviously the most, then you have like, zoom call maybe texting dming maybe then like you know liking someone's thing like all the scale of like what a relationship is and could be and it's interesting and then even on those calls it's always like a different dynamic but yeah it's so true like it just i mean some things have changed but some things just like why are we changing that they don't have to be or that never were the way like before covid so that's just really funny um just changing gears here a little bit, I'd love to kind of tie off on this, especially from like how you got started in real estate, but also what you've been dabbling with a little bit recently, which is just playing around with land. Can you just give the listeners a high level uh, overview on kind of like what what you're talking about with that, what you're doing with it? Yeah. Uh, and then I'm sure we'll dig into like some how to's. Yeah. So, you know, I, I,
1: when, so Chris Branding, who is a great friend of both of ours, is, you know, I remember when we were in the office, this was two years ago. So he said, Hey, you mind if I do this on the side? I said, yeah, no, that's awesome. And it like resonated with me. I said, Hey, why don't we build this out? Right? Like we'll fund it. Let's build it out. It never went anywhere, but it was always in the back of my head because when I started, you know, the story, I was on a rooftop bar in the city and a guy showed me a stack of papers like this of just all tax auction property that he bought And I'm looking at some of this stuff. He's like, you know, for $1,500, you could buy it from me and I'm going to make money on it. And I was like, for $1,500, I could buy a house? Okay. So, and then when Chris brought up the idea of, of, of buying land and flipping land and stuff like that, one, I think there's a huge push of people wanting to live in the woods, in the mountains, in different areas, not in major cities. So that was one driver behind. And the other driver behind it was when I originally started, I fell in love with, back tax properties and tax deeds and auctions. The land is not much different. Um, So, and I realized this probably a couple of months ago, I was like, why do I have such a passion for this? It's because I started, it was what I originally went into real estate to do was to buy, you know, vacant lots that were tax delinquent and you could flip to your neighbor. So that's why it became such a passion. And now it's like a really bad hobby of mine where I'd find myself sometimes going down this rabbit hole of looking at vacant land for four hours but there's something about it that I just fall in love with because it's what I used to do buying you know tax fee properties and delinquent properties and auction you know literally a vacant piece of land that is completely worthless for 150 bucks and then you sell to your neighbor for 400 it's not a lot of money it's a couple hundred dollars but anybody listening can do that, right? Because you don't have to pay for gas anymore going to your office. So take your gas money and go buy a of property. But you can learn so much with so little risk that it's just, been, it's just been fun. And through Corona, I haven't been able to travel. I haven't been able to see deals. So I had to find something else. And this is not a transaction business with people and rent rolls and financials. This is you buy a piece of property that you never, I don't want to say never see because of Google Earth and you can see it, but you're not dealing with tenants. You're not dealing with rent collection. You're not dealing with anything. You're buying a property that someone does not want or does not need or COVID times have hit and they need some money. You're buying it and then you're selling it or you're owning it and you sell or finance it. And then you start dealing with people, but you know, you can buy a property for 10 grand that's worth 10 grand. But if you sell or finance that and you sell it at 15,000 and then you get some financing, you create cash flow mm. and your money returns money. So there's so many ways you can go with it. You can look for, you know, you could buy little desert properties, you know, just because it's worthless to somebody doesn't mean it's worthless to you because you can buy something for market, sell it on terms, generate a great income, or you can just buy it for 20, 30 cents on the dollar and sell it for 80 cents on the dollar. So it's a low hanging fruit that I think with people moving, there's so many ways it can go. There's so many things you can do with it. It's a really exciting space that I've just fell in love with. And I think that um, it it was, it it drummed up that original love for real estate. And that's why I've I've gravitated to it over the last couple of months.
0: That is awesome. I have a bunch of other questions just like sort of related to that, but not, but before we move off it, um, for someone that's just listening and they're like, all right, what's the quick start guide if tomorrow I just want to start playing around with, with, uh, just looking at land, um, any sites you recommend, or just like, if someone's going to just devote three hours to something, what should they do with it?
1: So first thing you do, uh, and I will steal this from people that have told me, uh, go on Craigslist and post an ad that you're looking for land, right? Go to like the wanted page and say, Hey, uh, you know, I'm an investor looking for a piece of property. You know, I got fifteen thousand dollars and I look for these property. Do that right now. You don't even need three hours. It's fifteen minutes, uh, and if, in an area you like, it could be okay. Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville Craigslist. I'm looking for a piece of property. Someone may stumble across that ad and send you, "Hey, I want to sell my property," and it, that's how I would start. Post that. You post that. Everyone list. You are an investor. You are a real estate investor by that post. Um, the next thing to do. There's just a ton of websites. You know, you could use Zillow and Realtor and Redfin. Um, you can use all of those sites to look for land and, and attributes of land. Um, mm-hmm. But that that's how I would start just to understand what things are selling for in areas. Any of the websites out there, you know, Google vacant land. And the key to land investing is you look for attributes that are attractive, right? You don't want to just buy a piece of grass. You want to buy, you know, if it's got hills, mountains, trees. But uh, the way to do that is to you know, look for stuff in markets that you want to where you want to be, uh, and look for cool attributes. And that's, that's how you start. That's how anyone were to start. And obviously there's 50,000 coaching programs. Uh, don't pay for any of them. If you have any questions, call me first, but, uh, I can make a good recommendation, but you want to, you want to get familiar with what stuff is selling for. That's the best tip I can give anybody. Cause then you get an idea. and You sort of have framework for, is that a market you want to be or not?
0: Awesome. Um, just cause the, there's a there's a lot more there, but appreciate you throwing that out there if people have questions they could they could hit you up. um just like total curveball question here, but I feel like uh, I don't know i'm just I'm just gonna ask, have you started playing around or familiar at all with nfts? I feel like anyone that was like familiar or, or were you ever into like baseball cards or you know trading cards when you were like growing up and and I only say that because um I mean, I feel like a lot of people you follow are like I, I feel the same way about like Grant Cardone, Gary Vee. And like, for a lot of them, they kind of jumped back into stuff that they were interested in, like when they first got started or kids or like their passions. And, you know, like, luckily, um, and I I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. Like, you're not in a position where you need to like hustle like crazy for money. You can pursue things that, you know, make you happier, you're interested in. And um, I, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there. Basically, NFTs is almost like a digital version of like, cards that now is like uh, supported by like it's i again i know it's hokey here like blockchain and like it's it is picking up and a lot of people are like if they already were into like trading cards a lot of them like gary v um grant cardone patrick Beth david they're doing it again and it just reminded me when you said that of like doing stuff that got you excited at the beginning and like what you just enjoyed like i don't know just i'll I'll throw it out there and pause but
1: yeah so i actually had to google because i have not heard of that um when i was younger i was not I was not, I had a ton of baseball cards, right? I had, you know, I have a signed Kendrick Jr. Rookie card and a Mickey Mantle card, right? And like, you see these things trade and I'm like, I fucking have that card. I don't have that card that's worth $2 million. But you see it. And, and the first thing you say is like, holy shit, I think I have that one. But I had baseball cards because I played baseball. There was some baseball like card games that I had, but I was not a big card person, but I do... Listen, everybody wants to be in a job or do something that they they have a passion for, right? You know, I wanted to be the, the, the shortstop for the Yankees. That's not the case. I love baseball. But if you can find yourself in a space that you enjoy what you're doing, whether it's NFTs or whatever, right? I don't know what that is, but I think that's the ultimate place to be And Obviously you need money to live and support yourself. So you gotta do something that can pay the bills. But if you can somehow turn your passion into what you do and it becomes, you know, you don't want your hobby to become your main focus because then it's no longer a hobby. So you want to keep it a hobby. But if you can play around and still hustle and do some stuff, I think that's awesome. And, you know, now this is up on my page. So probably for the next five hours, I'll be looking at this. But, um, yeah, no, I was not a big, uh, I was more of a, a, like a, like, like I said, I, I had stuff, but it was not a passion of mine. It was just mm. sort of like the, you know, the default. Cause I played baseball. I had baseball cards.
0: Gotcha. I just, you know, you, you know how I meant it just in the sense of like, Oh, 100%. Any, anytime you've, you know, and just for people listening, like, uh, again, I, I'm still, I'd say early on in the journey, but like my eyes, I feel like they open more to this every day that like, you gotta do something that you don't hate. Like you, you gotta, it's for like in some sh- like rhyme or reason shape, like, not hate what you do every day, not hate like the chance that your boss could call you and ruin your day. Even if you cut your salary in half, like I, I'm, I'm firm on that. Like save money, like to your point, John, like don't live like an idiot and just do something that like, you can increase your happiness and have less stress and like not be as reactive, you know, like, I, like for me now, like cool thing. I just, the fact that you can make your own schedule, like I didn't feel that way a month ago. I'm like some person could just put it something on my calendar and just ruin my day. And like, just anyway, this, the happiness that comes with that, but just pursuing things you like, like there are ways to make money with all this stuff. And like, John enjoys land. Like he got into it. It was like somebody got like his start with, and now he can make money with it and he could probably grow it. But it's also like something that's fun and a passion. So I just like, I really want to drill that home because it's so top of mind for me, but you know, for people that are like stuck in a job right now, I just want to reiterate, it doesn't have to be that way. And you're a perfect example of that, John.
1: So I think you just touched on it, like the land thing for me, I know there are people out there making seven, eight figures, right? Doing this stuff. The passion for me was one or two deals a year that can generate, I mean, the the real goal for me was if I could do one deal a month that generated like 10, 20 grand, that was good, right? Okay, it sounds crazy, a $240,000 goal, but I don't want to do 50 transactions a month because now I need a transaction coordinator. I need a full-time staff, a sales team, that wasn't the passion. That becomes now. It's not a passion. It's a job. The, the The plan for me was target the deal that there's enough of a profit you can do one or two of them, and it's some extra money that you can spend because the the one of the things I've heard early on in my life, which was probably the one of the best things I've ever heard, is if you can solve a problem with money, it's not a problem. You know, the real problems are like when you get terminally diagnosed with diseases that money's not going to fix. Like that's a problem. So I always took that as a, listen, everybody wants the big car, that big house, the nice, you know, the, the, the vacation, everybody wants that stuff. And I understand that. And if your main goal is I want to make a million dollars a year, so I have everything that the equation is missing the happiness, the component of it. And I'm a believer of it too. I don't tell people to quit their job because they don't like it, but if you truly hate something, find something that you can make less to support yourself, where you have the time to go build what you truly enjoy doing. Because- as I said if it's a if you can cure the problem with money it's probably not a real problem and I'm not trying to diminish the money component of things but if there's a will there's a way you can get it done or you know a loan a borrow you might owe people something but that is not the real problems that you have in life the so real problems are how are they're not solvable because mm-hmm. if it's health it's it's time, it's something like that. So, I, I'm a true believer in everything you just said. And I think it's important to realize that you can find a passion that generates money that is your, you know, play money or your rainy day money. And, and you just enjoy doing it. You don't need different CRMs and, and marketing books, it, it, you don't need to do that in everything you do. You can find a nice thing that you enjoy doing that you know, is your side thing. And, and, and that's, I think could turn into a full-time passion of yours where you can generate enough money to do what you want. But in the interim, you know, get started doing something right. Find that passion and, and then build your schedule around that and time block it off and just say, I'm busy. Right. And, mm. and if you work for people, it's a little bit harder, but um, I, I agree with you. And I think that's important for people to realize.
0: John, it's always so fun, man. We got to do this less than once a year. Um, or, or have you come in the Facebook group, but, uh, what's the best way for people to, to get in touch or follow you on social media? Uh, just track what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I would say email is probably one of the better ones. I suck at social media. I occasionally pop in though, uh, on Facebook, it's my name, John Cohen. I think it's a picture of me and my daughter. She's on my shoulders, I believe. Uh, Instagram it's at John, J O H N underscore JC. Uh, I really suck on there. I basically just look at things. I don't ever respond, but, uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, it's just my name. Uh, it's a profile. I think of my big bald face and bald head, but, uh, that's the best place. And then my email is John at Toro, J O H N at T O R O R E P dot Um, try them all. Don't stop unless I get back to you. Cause, uh, you know, persistency is key. And that's uh, that's the
0: name of the game. John, thank you so much, man. It's uh, like I said, always fun and uh, always a great perspective. So just uh, love to to catch up and see what you're doing in 2021, man. Best of luck.
1: I appreciate it. Uh, Once again, thank you for having me and uh, it was a blast.
0: All right, man, see you later. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on -on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any
1: questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at outlook.com.